Press Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Kinsey, and I'm here tonight with Josh Cacho. Josh, how you doing? Um, I'm going to go with lukewarm based on the performance of the national team that we just saw. Also, you know, again, it, these these friendlies don't do much to get you going considering they're it's not exactly playing for a whole lot. But um, other than I think it's served to annoying just to annoy our, annoy us as we kind of move forward in this Burhalter era. See, but that's where you're wrong, Josh. That that match last night, on top of being part of the Nations League and uh, an actual competition, according to Carlos Cordero, was a statement win over a CONCACAF foe. <laughs> he seems to think that the USMNT is back on track and ready to go, uh, which is patently absurd. The idea that the president of U.S. soccer is tweeting these types of things is a real sign of just how bad things in the Federation are. If that man is running things and he doesn't know that Canada is a CONCACAF minnow, with all due respect to Mark Anthony Kay and Alfonso Davies, uh, then we are in a world of hurt given the people running the show. Yeah, we had two good things come from last night, that match. Um, one of them was Serginho Dest is officially uh, yes. Yes. a national team player and here to stay. Mm-hmm which I'm all about because he did look pretty nice last night. And we'll get into the analysis as we kind of go through it after we rail a little bit longer about the status of the Federation. And then the second one is, you know, Jordan Morris does look like he's getting back to the form he showed when he, you know, back to the days when he was playing with alongside Dempsey, you know, yeah. I mean, I have some feelings about Jordan Morris and most people won't like him, but uh, they're not all bad. He's been, I think, I feel like he's been in the best form of the majority of the MLS guys, let's put it that way, <laughs> which is yeah, insane. Yeah. Much. yeah. I mean, we can but, go ahead and get into it now since we're already talking about it. But for me, Jordan Morris is a very one dimensional winger. What he does uh, is really good. And that's elite speed. So if he can get around you, if he's in space, he's really, really dangerous. Um, especially if he's playing opposite somebody like Christian Pulisic, who's a little bit more creative and is probably going to suck in some of the attention on the left wing, and Jordan Morris is on the right wing, uh, where he should be. I know that he's been developing his left foot a little more, but uh, some of his crosses from the left side left a lot to be desired last night. Um, I think he's probably a guy who should be looking for a move elsewhere to be challenged and and trained a little bit uh, in in the more high-stakes environment. than. But his dog, though. Right. What's that? That was why he stayed the last time was because his family bought him a dog. Is that is that for real? Yeah, there was something that it was. I want to <laughs> say it was something along that line where like. Oh man. Um, he was he you know because he had come into prominence had been playing really well when he graduated from Stanford, looked good playing opposite. Um, you know, opposite or playing alongside Dempsey and some of those guys because I think, you know, there's. Like you were saying, like the one thing that he does, he does well, um, is to you know is to stretch the field vertically, right? And and the style mm-hmm. of play from the national team previously was a little bit more, you know, defensive and counterattack minded and that sort of thing, and so it worked well in his favor, right? To play you know as that like wide midfielder or you know or as part of a the the two up top where he can get out and stretch, but he looks like, you know. At the time, he was America's top college player. Um, mm-hmm. 
rejected an offer to go to Werder Bremen, you know, so reportedly because his parents bought him a dog. And so he stayed with the, uh, the Sounders. Oh, man. That is not ideal. Uh, I mean, may, maybe. Maybe he's going to be the one that bucks the trend and he'll be the guy that stays in MLS his entire career and becomes an international caliber, not quite superstar, but uh, I'll just say star. You know, that guy that we can put out on the wing and is always going to be making things happen. I don't think that's so, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe the MLS truthers are right. Who knows? Um, So I don't know how we got here, Josh. (laughs) Oh, I think you, I think you were talking about your two things. Let's go ahead and talk about the other one. I guess Serginio Dest is now uh, a cap-tied American fullback. Um, Greg Berhalter was kind enough to bring in five fullbacks, I think, was the final count on this roster. He played one of them last night, and congrats to Greg Berhalter for choosing the correct one because he is undoubtedly the best one. Um, yeah, and, and was probably was, one of the more creative, like, probably the most creative player on the, the field, most, right? Yeah, especially down the wing. There's a couple of times where you know he took on, you know, Canada. I think it was Larea on, on that side. Um, yeah, and Larea. I think Alfonso Davies started over there, and they, eventually they switched. Yeah, um, there was some, there was some, you know, interplay between the two wingers there, but. Yeah. yeah, and it's one of those things where, you know, Larea, I believe, I want, I have to go back and check, right? but there's a couple times where, you know, he was able to take some, take some uh, Canada's wing, you know, fullback on one-on-one and, you know, and looked good doing it. And it's stuff that, you know, he's been doing at IX and that's why they like him there, right? But given, you know, the state of the, you know, the midfield and defense, obviously we have to, you know, it's, it's tough to encourage that a whole lot, but at the same time, you know, you do like to see their creativity and those types of things, especially if, you know, you're going to play a more defensive minded midfield um, moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's go ahead and get right into that. I don't think it's any secret that Greg Berhalter changed up what he was doing uh, last night with his tactics. We went from, we're going to possess the ball in whatever uh, Frankenstein um, formation that Greg throws out that night. And we are going to instead counterattack and stay in a bit more of a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, depending on how you're looking at it. Um, and we're going we're gonna to hit them on the counter and we're going to score from set pieces. And they were able to do that. Um, so whatever, whatever congratulations are due, for bunkering against Canada and being able to score on the counterattack, there they are. Um, I, for one, sure, I'm happy to see a 4-1 win, but uh, again, Canada are CONCACAF minnows, so the idea that we have to counter, you know, bunker and counter against them leaves me zero confidence in Greg Berhalter, his system, his player selection, moving forward to not only the World Cup, but also World Cup qualifying. Yeah, I mean, based on, you know, I think on we've talked a lot about over this past year, you know, that difference between tactics and principles, you know, and for all the tactics that he's, you know, Berhalter seemed to throw out there, the principle play that he, you know, that he's laid out doesn't at all match the product on the field nor the player selection. So I think to me that that's the biggest, you know, point of frustration for me is that, again, if you know, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, 
right? I think given given where we were, mm-hmm. you know, you just you were just hoping for something, right? But yeah. then given the process and all these different things, right? Obviously, it's going to lead to exit, you know, the scrutiny that you know that's very well deserved, you know, moving forward. Um, but at the same time, again, don't don't come out here and say we want to play possession style football, and then at the same time, go and bring in a bunch of MLS guys, you know, who whose teams don't play possess, you know, teams nor academies play any anything resembling possession style football, yeah. right? And that that again, it, you know, so if you're going to bring in guys from Seattle, right, or Dallas, like a Paxton Pomichol, or, you know, who else plays a little bit more possessions heavy? Um, I mean, I would say LAFC, but I will admit that I don't think Walker Zimmerman's quite there on the international level. For sure, but I mean, as a passer, he, I mean, like, at least he, he has an idea of what the intent is, right? It's like, right, right. you know, the intent is there, but, you know, the game that where he looked you know, didn't look as, you know, didn't shine very brightly in terms of his passing was a game in which his midfield wasn't an all there, right. In terms Mm -hmm. of being able to, to play that possession, you know, receive balls, you know, no one was comfortable receiving the ball with their back to back to goal. Right. And then be able to make that turn, which is paramount in playing that system. Right. You know, you see Mm -hmm. guys like Latif blessing and, and K do it all the time where back, you know, it's back to goal, and then you make that turn and you flip and get the ball upfield. Guys like Weston right, McKinney, right. you know, who as you know, as much as I love him and as much promise as he's shown, you know, has not played in a role where he's doing that regularly. Um, yeah. You know, Michael Bradley is probably the only one, but again, he's you know his defensive limitations and you know are going to limit his effectiveness in the long run, especially against a team you know like Canada that was pressing the United States pretty heavily in that previous match. And so again, when you look at the, when you look at the grand scheme of things, you know, don't, don't tell me one thing. Right. And then try and push this nonsense on the whole, on the other side, you know, in terms of what your style or what these different things are supposed to be, or what we're trying to implement. Again, those things don't match up right now. It just looks like you're saying these different things, which are buzzwords, you know, within, you know, within, a growing sport that get people, you know, they get all the hipsters yeah. hyped up about possession and da 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 and whatever it may be, right? Yeah. So, I'm I'm gonna give a shout out to some guys that a lot of people don't like, and it's because they don't have time or patience for bad analysis. They don't have time or patience for bad soccer, uh, and it's the guys at three four three. They recently started recapping all the. Uh, U.S. men's matches, uh, and in, to include the youth teams, and so it's John Pronich and Joey Casio are over there doing this, and they have been hammering this for a while now about Greg Berhalter's. They don't say it explicitly like this, but you talked about his principles, and they keep going back to his initial press conference where he said, "We are going to be a team that wins by three things: ball circulation, breaking lines." and goal scoring opportunities. So the idea that you possess the ball and circulate it around to keep, you know, to keep the pressure off, you play line breaking passes, assuming that's from, you know, the center backs, the full backs, the defensive midfielders and creating goal scoring opportunities that way. Um, and we haven't seen that all year unless it's against a Cuba or a Trinidad and Tobago in the gold cup. 
And we certainly didn't see it against Canada in the first match. And we didn't see it again last night because he went away from those principles, like you said. Now, again, if if we're up against Brazil or Argentina or Germany or England or some other giant of a country or even Mexico, and you're going to switch up your entire game plan and go with that and, you know, bunker and counter, then that's fine with me. But if you can't play your style of soccer against a CONCACAF minnow, then you either don't know how to coach what you say you're trying to do, or you are, you're even more lost than anybody could ever imagine. And you're just saying things like you said, you're just throwing out buzzwords saying, Oh, we're going to possess, we're going to do this. And I think Greg got a lot of credit for doing something in Columbus that he didn't actually do. Everybody says he played this style in Columbus and he had overperforming teams. Um, but that's not the case. He lost a lot in Columbus. He, and he backed his way into an MLS cup, uh, final and then lost. That's what everybody points to. He made it to an MLS cup final and he subsequently lost it. And now he's the national team coach. Yeah. I mean, so he's got a sub 500 record, right? At minimum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's not like we're, we're dealing with a guy who's won everywhere he's gone. Right. And I think he, mm-hmm. he was failed. He was a failed coach in, in, uh, Sweden, Norway. Yeah. He, he got fired at Hammerby because of a lack of offense, uh, offensive prowess. Like his teams had, they could generate no offense and surprise, yeah. surprise, none of his teams can because <laughs> he doesn't well, know what he's and doing. And now it, and now it seems like moving forward, right? It's he's gotten a series of jobs that are seemingly just been given because of his relationships to the federation, yeah. right? Yeah. Over and over again, again with again with little to no reason to justify his position. In my opinion, again, maybe that's yeah. a bit harsh, right? And no, you know, I, I, I don't, don't think know so. him as a person, but at the same time, I along that way, right? Especially to be given that position without having interviewed a single other person. Right. So yeah. if you're going to tell me that you're going to go after one person because their credentials are so good that we don't even need to interview anyone else, that person better be Arsene Wenger, Jose Mourinho, you know, and, yeah. and I can't even believe I'm saying Mourinho because again, I, you know, his, his style has been, it drives me crazy sometimes when you watch it against your team. Right. But it's effective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy knows how to win games at minimum. Right, it, it better be a guy that's you know a pep, you know Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp, someone who's won you know, everywhere you know they go. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's name ten coaches. I think you're probably ten is about it that you would give the job to without an interview. Yeah. So right, those let's four. Let's do it. So Bang, Pep, you know, yeah. Klopp. Uh, you said Arsene Wenger. That's three. Yeah, Mourinho. You know, Mourinho is four. Mourinho. Uh, Bielsa. For me, would be yeah. five. Uh, <laughs> and it gets stuck, hard I'm behind that, five, right? To be honest, I'm stuck yeah. at five. You know, I mean, to a certain degree, you could even you could you know like because they're American coaches and they've shown they've done it at that level already. You can go, you know, Bruce and Brad and Oof, Bradley. But look, right? what, I mean, they gave the job to Bruce. It's in not. It's not ideal, right? But at the same time, you're not going to question. Like, I at least don't question their, you know their uh what do you call it like what what they've done right like bruce has has Mm. won games as as u.s coach has won a ton of games in mls bob bradley has won a ton of games at mls has won in norway has won you know one you know developed guy you know has good relationship with guys i mean certainly done more than greg berhalter yes for sure right like at least (laughs) the resume makes sense yeah you know like you say okay they're american 
you know, like, you know, like that, I mean, like that actually should be a factor, you know, apparently, um, right. They're American. They've won in multiple places. They've done it at the national level, whatever. Okay. So you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, you throw those guys on there because you, because you have to, right. Other than that, I'm not sure anyone else meets that standard outside of like the top five coaches in the last 20 years, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, right. Yeah. Like yeah. there's not very many other people that really deserve, you know, to to you know to be raised into that position unquestioned without having at least you know being compared to the next person down the line right like yeah okay let's see let's take burhalter and compare him against tata compare him against jesse marsh compare him against who you know any um but brian schmetter to me would have been a better hire you know than <laughs> um you know than uh than burhalter because at least schmetter gets out of the way when it comes to you know, the way that he sets up his teams, right? Like Spencer doesn't, it doesn't strike me as a tactical mastermind, but he doesn't also, he also doesn't get in the way of his players, right? The yeah, way that, right. that Brawler has seemingly tried to do at times, you know, trying to play Tyler Adams as a right wing back. I mean, that was his initial idea was, yeah, let's take this player and play, not even a, not even a right wing back. The idea was to play him as a right back that moves into the center defensive midfield. Like that was his grand plan to make all this work. And then he was going to play the old WM formation in possession, you know, three, two, two, three, uh, that we haven't seen from the 1930s. Like that's madness to me. That is absolute madness. Yeah. And again, like I said, it, he's, it's like, you know, he, he's that guy that, that they basically just, it's, he's like a pole tested, you know, football coach, right? Like he, he's basically yeah. like, he went online, looked at what the trending hashtags were for, for style of play and what people seem to be talking about. And then threw all those things out there in hopes that he'd it land him a job. And again, because his brother is coach and Carlos Cordero is, you know, a shill. This is how we end up in the position where we're at. Yeah. So let's, again, we got a four, one win in an official competition against Canada after losing to them embarrassingly two nil a month ago. So I guess there's some level of credit that is due for Greg saying, Hey, we have to change what we're doing and get this result. Otherwise I'm going to be fired. Even though Ernie Stewart said I wouldn't be fired. Um, and let's go to the top. Let's work our way back down to Greg. So Carlos Cordero last night um, tweets out after the game that it was a statement win, a statement win against Canada who hadn't beat us for 34 years. 34 years, Josh. I'm not yeah. even 34 years old. <laughs> yeah, neither of us were alive the last years. time we lost to Canada. Yes. So for the first time in my adult life, or in my entire life, uh, and I now have multiple kids, uh, I've lived in all these different states, I've lived all over the world, uh, and we had never lost to Canada. All those things happened, and we had never lost to Canada. But we came out and got a statement win against them. Uh, statement wins, Josh, come again against Germany, Brazil, Argentina, England, Croatia, those types of teams, right? Yeah. Not, I mean, a statement I mean, win was Mexico. Confederations Cup, right? You beat um, yes. Spain, right? And then lose to Brazil in a tough match, right? Was mm-hmm. that the way it went? I think so, yes. Yeah, you yeah, beat Spain beat in the Spain. semifinal and then lost to, you know, so beating Spain, that's a statement win, right? Yeah. Um, you know, doing... Good you know, Spain. This is Spain, like, 
back oh, in the that one that, that that one three meter trophy you know the three biggest international trophies I think they in the went world. Out, they that was the so confederations cup was 2009 right and then spain won it in 2010 didn't they they yeah they won the world cup and then the euros in like subsequent years or subsequent yeah, yeah. settings um, statement win you know yep yeah so that's a statement win right beating mexico at azteca right statement win Canada at in Orlando in front of five people. Nah, doesn't rank that high of the book because, you know, again, I, I can't, I'm not sure you, just from crowd size alone, right? I'm not sure you can call a statement when, when you have to, you know, when the entire upper deck is empty. Yeah. In a small soccer specific stadium, by the way, we're not talking about soldier field. Yeah, uh, man. Just so, so the idea that he tweets this out like you said, I mean, the correct word for it is shill. He's just out there peddling nonsense. Uh, that's, and I mean, I think that's the more charitable interpretation is he knows that it's crazy that he's saying these things. The less charitable interpretation is that he has no idea what he's talking about. And I, I honestly think that might be more close to truth <laughs> than the other way around. Uh, and this is the man that's in charge of all of U.S. soccer uh, and was voted in by the Athletes Council. So one of the things that I think is funny is Stu Holden's out there earlier this week talking about, oh, this is a must win no matter what Ernie says, and uh, you have your back's against the wall, and the the Federation has to get things in order. But like this is the guy that headed up the, the, the Athletes Council vote for Carlos Cordero. So it's just, uh, it's just crazy. Everybody is so complicit. Yeah, I mean, again, this this is... You know, to put it on, <laughs> as much as we, you know, love to make fun of and rail on Gregor Berhalter, um, this doesn't fall solely on his shoulders, right? No. This is a failure from the top down, um, yeah. like you were saying. And again, this goes, you know, to issues that, uh, you know, that, that started with his, you know, with his hiring at all, right? And his, even his consideration on given his resume and, and ends with what we have, you know, what we've seen over the last three years. Right. Again, yeah. this process didn't start when he got hired. It started when, you know, when they fired Klinsman. Yeah, it did. Who deserved uh, to be fired, to be fair. Right, right. He, I mean, he had lost, uh, I think he had lost the team by then. Um, and things were definitely headed in the wrong direction. You're scared about not qualifying for the World Cup. I think Bruce Arena, even though the safe hire isn't the right one there, I think there's still enough time on the clock to go out and get somebody a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more... Uh, 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 just somebody a little it's going to do something a little more than he did but I think you are right that it started with when you fired Klinsman um, and it, let's let's move a step down the rung here to Ernie Stewart who I guess the best thing to do is recap how he came out and talked to the media so this is a guy that was hired as the GM of the U.S. Men's National Team and then shortly after hiring Greg Berhalter before anything had happened um, he was promoted to sporting director and it was presumably so he could oversee all the teams and also put an extra layer of distance between him or between Greg Berhalter and Jay Berhalter, who is apparently going to be the next CEO. Although it seems like that's never going to happen. Like nobody's ever going to be the next CEO. Um, Oh, also the other the other uh, accomplishment that Ernie Stewart had during that time was 
turning down an offer from Lopetegui to coach the national team <laughs> and is that opting for Greg Berhalter. So he does two press conferences. He does one when he's hired, one when he's promoted. And then the next time he speaks is on a conference call with a bunch of friendly media. And that's it, where he's not going to get any any tough questions. And that just happened this week. Um, Josh, what do you think about this format that he spoke out in? I mean, it's, you know, I was listening to something today and they talk about how most of these media things work, right? And, um, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the how you approach it and how the media, some people approach it is like you don't want, you know, you basically just don't want to poke the beast because you're worried about not being able to now have access moving forward, right? You say the wrong mm -hmm. thing, you go after the wrong person. Now you're banned from all things going forward, right? So mm -hmm. there's going to be a certain crowd that's always going to be, you know, like you were saying, the 343 guys, you know, like people don't like them. Right? Why? Because they're generally willing to call out things, you know, as they see them, right? Yeah. As opposed to, you know, again, you know, as much, you know, as much as after that last game, you know, Doyle went off a little bit and talking about the midfield and so on and so forth. You know, they're still going to be extremely friendly to their MLS players because they're MLS state media, right? And we all know mm -hmm. that they're all in cahoots because of some and how those that marketing thing all works out. Uh, yeah, and so when you look at the grand scheme of things, like again, like he, he, there's no one that's really going to do it because again, the way that, you know, like they've created this thing again, it's almost mafia style, right? I think, you know, we referred to it as yeah. like the Berhalter mafia specifically because again, like you, they've, those guys are made men, right? Ernie, Ernie, Ernie Stewart is a made man because he's been installed by, you know, Jay Berhalter and the guys that have been there for, you know, and again, the kind of the status quo, mm -hmm. right? Which is what, you know, you were hoping would have gotten turned over after Gulati stepped down. But again, it's really only gotten worse, right? At least Gulati yeah. kind of made it seem like he was the one that was really running things. But, you know, behind the scenes, it was really just, you know, that marketing arm, you know, that 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 kind of liaisons between them and Major League Soccer that's really been pulling the strings. And again, to a certain degree, in my opinion, really started the negative press for Klinsman because he was, you know, again, when, when he basically said, I don't want any part of London Donovan, right? It was a slap in the face to Major League Soccer. And that yeah. kind of started, you know, again, that, in my opinion, it kind of started his his demise, you know, in terms of how, you know, like I'm not sure he actually lost it in the way that it, it's been portrayed, right? I think the MLS guys stopped playing for him, but, you know, you listen to some of the guys that played overseas, you know, like it was, up, you know, I think it was Jeff Cameron that talked about, you know, you should, if you had just kept him there, they probably would have qualified. And at that point you can make a decision, you know? Yeah, yeah. So this is, so I, I think you are right. It, it kind of started with the whole Landon Donovan thing, but didn't, I, I know that Landon Donovan's sabbatical, wasn't it just before World Cup qualifying? Like he was gone for out of soccer for a year, right? It was before uh, all that happened, I think. Well, no, because he, the the last cycle, yeah, he had taken it, because that was 14, right? So I think he took 13 off and then tried to come back for the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I just 14. looked it up in the Times. Yeah. Kevin Baxter's article is dated 2013 and is talking about extending his sabbatical to late March of 2013. So it looks like he took 2012 off and then came back in 2013. 
So you're talking about a guy who comes back just in time for World Cup qualifying. And the article also says he was going to miss the, he missed the Costa Rica and the Mexico match in World Cup qualifying. And then people are mad at Jurgen Klinsmann for leaving him behind when the whole thing that he's been preaching is everybody's mentally soft that is over here in MLS because there's, they, they don't, they're not fighting for their jobs. They're not fighting for promotion or relegation. Like, and then Donovan goes out and basically confirms exactly what he's talking about. You have the U S superstar taking a year off and that's where it all went downhill for, well, uh, you know, maybe, it, you know, and it's sacrilege to a certain degree within us, you know, us soccer communities to talk badly about Lennon Donovan. But again, Clint Dempsey's the goat. Don't at me. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, you know, but if you think about it, like the guy, you know, couldn't hack it in Germany. You know, went he went to Everton and really couldn't hack it there either. You know, and then again, just came back and was a big fish in a small pond. But again, what did he really do in the grand scheme of things? Right, he scored some. Yeah, yeah he scored big goals when he was on the, when he was coming up. But as a as a as a professional with his club teams, didn't really do much other than dominate a league that was still that was still building to what it is now. Yeah, right. Yeah, again, you don't all have the criticism the level. that Carlos Vela has taken this season. It should be tenfold on Landon Donovan. Oh, for sure. But at least Vela did it in La Liga for you know, did it in La Liga for the majority of his right, career. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And scored, you know, just as many big, you know, scored in the World Cup, scored, you know, in Champions League, things that Landon mm-hmm. Donovan could never dream of. Right. And then Clint yeah. Dempsey did all of that times a hundred. He's the goat. He's the goat. Right. And so I don't care what again, anybody says. like at when when it comes to that whole thing, it was just like you know I I what you left him off for Julian Green, right? Maybe yeah, you put him on you know like if if you didn't really think he was you weren't going to play him anyways, what's the point in bringing him, right? It, it was yeah, how I right. felt at the time, you know. But I, at the same time, like I said, I think that slap in the face where he basically you know Klinsman wanted nothing to do with Major League Soccer because he saw you know the level of play here, and I think you know. Like a lot of LAFC fans, most of us were more or less out on MLS prior to the team joining yeah. the you know the team joining the league where you get something to get excited about. But I mean, prior to that, what was that really? Right before you right. know, again, like it drives me crazy to you know give Seattle this these kind of pro, you know like what is the saying that Seattle created football, you know, in or in the United States right. in two thousand nine, <laughs> but. To a certain degree, like that was, you know, the start of the next phase of, you know, yeah, major league soccer, was. Yeah. you know, and I'm not I mean, sure. Right around the David Beckham time as well. So, I mean, that's yeah. when things really But I mean, again, happen, like, really. you know, so what, what does a guy like Landon Donovan do in the TAM era, right? Where the level of play has been right, improved right. dramatically because you're just bringing in more players, right? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, because you have the money to do it, which you didn't have previously. And so, yeah. again, you know, like you, it's the whole thing just stinks because when you look at the way things have gone since, since that whole thing happened again with essentially like Klinsman being brought down from within because again, because he dissed MLS so bad mm-hmm. to now where you're led years later, where you've now basically have, you know, cronies that are all tied in within the marketing arm of both the, you know, the Federation and the league. Yeah. Ugh, it doesn't, it doesn't speak well to what we're seeing, you know, Right, it, right. You know, no, you, I, it's I, easy I like to see language. what you see now. Yeah, I like the language that you're using, though. Cronies and made men and, uh, 
that, I mean, that's the right way to look at it. Because again, you have this weird relationship with Jay Berhalter, uh, Carlos Cordero's just, you know, basically Sunil Gulati's right-hand man. And you have lots of people run against him in the election. And then all of a sudden, everybody just gets in line at the very end. It's like, oh, no, no, no. We're, of course, it's going to be Car- Carlos. Like, why would we vote for anybody else? Uh, and then you go out and get Ernie Stewart, and people are like, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe we'll get to a possession-style Dutch, you know, we'll, we'll add a Dutch feel to everything. And it's like, no, it's just more of the same nonsense, more people who don't know what they're doing. Uh, and, I mean, this is how we, if we eventually got on this tangent, is Ernie Stewart can't even speak to the press. He has to do it in this in this backwards conference call where he's saying things like, well, in the first 25 minutes of that one Mexico match, we played really well. And that's only because we were playing direct. He doesn't, he doesn't realize that. The reason we were playing well is because we were playing direct one and Mexico hadn't started pressing. And as soon as Mexico started pressing, it was over and we got played off the pitch. And this is your sporting director. This is supposed to be the guy that's pulling all the strings and putting everybody in place, hiring all the men's national team and youth national team coaches. And this is the guy. And he's out there also saying things about his made man, Greg Berhalter. It doesn't matter what the result is on Friday. He's the coach. I've seen enough progression. And nobody can point to any sign of progression other than this Canada result, which is Greg Berhalter going against his stated principles from his own initial press conference. So it's just this giant, giant mess of, like you said, cronies and made men. It's a mafia. It really is. Yeah. I mean, is it, is it a, is it a mystery that Berhalt, I mean, that Ernie Stewart, that Philadelphia wasn't good until Ernie Stewart left? <laughs> right. right. So Philadelphia, that is you know, underrated like, right there. Right. Like Philadelphia was, you know, the, towards the top of the Eastern conference all last year. And I'm pretty sure had been pretty terrible leading up to this point, right? Under mm-hmm. Ernie Stewart's leadership. I mean, famously, so, they, they could never win a playoff game and and they finally got one this year. Yeah. Yeah. After he leaves, right? And and separates himself from the team. And so, again, like, it, it's just one of those things where, again, I think it, at the end of the day, it, it just, it just doesn't leave a good look and, and leaves the wrong taste in your mouth. Again, when you're told one thing and you see a completely different, you know, result, and you know, and and a, maybe a you know maybe a soccer population and of soccer uh, soccer fans twenty you know ten fifteen years ago wouldn't know the difference because generally speaking most people didn't care, right? Mm-hmm. And to a certain degree, the average fan doesn't care that much, right? But right when right. you actually pay, you know, but you do have a growing population that understands the game because of the rise of Premier League soccer and you know in the states, right? We can actually yeah. watch good soccer on a regular basis every morning, sometimes at four thirty in the morning. But we all mm-hmm. do it. We get up, we watch Liverpool, we watch Chelsea, we watch Manchester United, and we see what good soccer. Well, maybe not so much not in Man the, United. Yeah, not, yeah, maybe not so much United. <laughs> but in, I mean, in, Man United was still play anybody in MLS off the pitch, of course. But for sure, yeah, you know. But you know, in regards <laughs> to some of the other, you there. know, like, we, but we've seen. You know, we've seen what good football is supposed to look like, right? Yeah. LAFC fans, you know, have been, you know, have been, spo- you know, like, we'll use a turn, you know, like, and I don't, what's his name? Um, what's the coach? Frank DeBoer. 
right? When in regards to Atlanta, you know, like Atlanta fans have been spoiled. LAFC fans are just as spoiled because of what we've been, yeah. you know, what we've gotten these first couple of years. It's been great, right? It won't always be that way, right? But at least when 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 Thorington and Rob Bradley speak, you see that product on the field, right? And it, right, the the, right. the equation makes sense. We want to play this way, okay? So we bring in these guys who play this particular style, and this is how we recruit it. This is how we do things, you know. As much as, you know, we're clamoring for the next big DP to come, you know, a Luis Suarez or, you know, whoever it may be to come in be the next DP, right? We're gonna get, you know, someone that's coming from, you know, somewhere in South America that isn't, you know, that will that we can sell for thirty million dollars in a few years, yeah, right? Is yeah. is likely what right. we're gonna see instead. And so, you know, the, when you, at, you know, again, I think at this point, U.S. soccer fans have wisened up, you know, to the nonsense that has been going on behind the scenes. Because again, I think for a while we protected it because, you know, soccer fans were, I think it was Colin Coward that, you know, they called him insecure. Right. Yeah. Being yeah. the sport that no one ever cared about and ever in, except for maybe every four years. And even now, because you didn't make the World Cup, people care even less, right? Mm -hmm. Always playing catch up to leagues like the NFL, like you know, base even Major League Baseball or the the NBA, right? You're because you feel inferior to the level of, you know, those other major sports here in the United States, right? We probably protect, you know, didn't criticize what was going on behind the scenes enough, right? Were we critical enough of Landon Donovan, you know, who? didn't go and play and go into Europe and play at the highest level. Right. Um, And then were we ignorant to what Clint Dempsey was doing at the highest level, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, and again, and I think now when you see Christian Pulisic do it for Chelsea, right. Then you say, okay, that's what it should have been. Right. That's why people are willing to go out there and say, you know, he's, he's the most talented American player that we've ever had. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, when you look at the other person that's supposed to be on that same rung in terms of Landon Donovan, never did it at the same level that Christian Pulisic's done, even mm. at this age. Right. 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 Okay. So again, maybe it's our fault as fans for being too soft because we were protective of a sport that, you know, again, that, that people <laughs> didn't give two craps about, you know, over the last few years. And now that people are starting to get into it for one reason or another, you know, now we have to look at it a little bit differently, but at the same time, you know, again, it doesn't, that doesn't, you know, change the fact that things are just broken and things need to be changed. And what, when, what, what needs to happen to get to that point? I don't know. Right. Yeah. So two things here, people, especially my friends who I complain to a lot will often say, how can you be so invested in LAFC and hate MLS so much at the same time? Like, how do you have those two opinions? Uh, And it's not that I hate MLS. It's that I don't, I still don't see it as a top league. Um, But I, I made a conscious decision, you know, like five years ago, Hey, this is going to be my club. I've never felt connected to any, to any club before. It's always felt forced to adopt one. In, in Europe. So I'm doing this and I, you know, I don't care what the consequences are. And then when I finally started paying more attention to the league, rather than just kind of being a casual uh, observer and fan of whatever, you know, whatever was going on in Europe at the time, now that I'm paying attention to the league, there's, you know, now it's facing more scrutiny from me because I see the things that are messed up with the league. 
and that people have probably been complaining about for 25 years, of course. Um, so I don't feel like anything that I'm saying is novel when it comes to uh, my critiques of the, of the league or, you know, why is it MLS Cup? Why is there no promotion relegation? Why are all these things the way they are? Um, but that doesn't mean I can't support a club that plays in that league. Um, I think I do think it's funny that so many uh, fans are almost more loyal to the league than they are to their to their team or to their club um, to the point where if you say something bad about, I don't know, name, but name an MLS play. If you say something bad about Jefferson Savarino to an RSL fan, uh, they'll be like, well, yeah, I mean, he's not perfect, but you know, whatever. And then if you say some, something that same fan about MLS being a crap league, they'll be like, oh, well, <laughs> Look at look at everything that's done for soccer in America and blah blah blah. So they feel a greater need to defend the league than they do their own players, or or even their club. And the and second they'll thing, defend Corey Baird for whatever yeah, reason. Absolutely, Corey Baird. I think I'm picking on RSL here because for whatever reason that team is so heavily involved with the men's national team and the and the under 23s. I think they have like three forwards on that team, but we can't find a spot for Ulianes who's uh, just tearing down the U19 Bundesliga right now. Um, but, you know, Greg always talks about first team minutes, so I guess he can't be any good until he proves it there. My question Which, is, how do you bring in guys who aren't even starting for the MLS teams? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, or like Sebastian Legette, as much as, I, again, like I like Sebastian Legette. I think he, ha- he was one of those initial guys that I gave – a lot of credit for for making that trip, you know, for making that jump to the championship, right in England. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he got hurt on national team duty, but at the same yeah. time, he started what fifty percent of the games. Yeah, probably. right. I mean, Fabio Alvarez was the starter until he was just terrible, and then you know, Legit, Legit started playing a little bit more. But even then, he wasn't a guy that was featured heavily on his you know, on his team. So again, it comes back to that same thing about we hear one thing about what, what are the criteria that we need, you know, that, that we need to build this team. And then when you see what comes out, it's a completely different story. So this is actually talking about two sides of your butt. Yeah. This is where I was headed with my second point is the idea that uh, MLS players are, especially Americans who aren't on big DP contracts are generally not good enough for international play. Like that's just something that U.S. fans have to begin to accept that unless they're burning down the league, they're probably not good enough to be playing international matches. And they might be fine against Canada. This is what always gets brought up. Oh, well, six or seven of the 11 players that played against us in October were all MLS. Uh, we're all on MLS squads. But we're not talking about beating Canada. We're talking about going to a World Cup and actually competing. That's what I talk about when I talk about international caliber. Um, and look, these guys just, they're not quite there. And if you need an external validation, then the 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 validation would be, or the negative validation would be that they, they haven't got big moves. Christian Roldan just signed another TAM deal in MLS. And to me, that's kind of like the, <laughs> that's kind of the kiss of death in terms of, uh, contracts for uh, for an American-based player. I honestly, again, LAFC fan, but I don't think Walker Zimmerman's going to be the greatest 
uh, center back for us to be calling on in the, in the world cup. Um, and it's because he's not facing world-class strikers all the time. And Christian Roldan isn't facing world-class midfielders all the time, week in and week out. Um, it's just, that's not the way it is. And Greg Berhalter continues to rely on these guys. And I think it's very clear the way he talks about them. He calls them the group. He calls it his core. Uh, they're, they're not good enough to play possession soccer against the smallest teams in CONCACAF, and they're not going to be able to do it at the World Cup. Uh, and I don't think that's a controversial statement. No, well, I mean, I think you're spot on there. I mean, it's just, again, I I just want, I think at minimum, the, the, the least we can ask for is consistency, right? Yeah. In terms of the message, you know, like if this is what you're going to tell us, then this is what we expect. But, yeah. you know, again, apparently that's too much to ask for from U.S. soccer at this point. Right. You know, and we've been really negative for, what, 45 minutes now? Uh, if, man, maybe Greg watched the match last night and said, hey, you know what? We can do this a lot better. There's a few more players that we can bring in and we can be a counterattacking team that's, you know, that can compete at the World Cup. As long as he comes out and says, we're taking this in a new direction, he could honestly buy himself a couple more months with me. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, he did say that it wasn't good enough, right? Like, I yeah, think in yeah. his post-game. And so, like I said, like you were saying, if, if if to compete at the highest level, we need to play, go back to a more pragmatic style, right? OG Bob Bradley, for example, right? Yeah. four four two, defend in bank, you know, defend in, defend in a deep, Bow, you know, low block, and hit with over the top with counters to Jordan Morris. I'm probably going to be actually okay with it, because at least there's an identity that makes sense based on who our player pool is, right? Yeah. But if you're, you know, and who based on or at least the player pool that he's called in thus far, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're going to tell me that we're going to play expansive and do these different things, yet we continue to see guys who can't play that way, yeah, right? It, you know, then at that point, you know, like you've lost me, right? And yeah. like you're saying, maybe we give them an, we give them the benefit of the out coming off of a, you know, like a, you know, a, a win. A win is a win, right? You take it um, and you see what happens going forward, right? But, you know, given this team, they lose to Cuba, you know, to Cuba coming up here and then who knows what is going to happen <laughs> after that. I mean, Canada, I think it was a total soccer show, guys. Today, they brought up the fact that Canada, when they played Cuba away, only one one nil after beating him seven nil at home, uh, which is crazy to think about happening. I mean, it's not going to happen with the U S but, uh, I mean, it's almost as if people are already hedging like, Oh, well you, you might see a two nil win against, against Cuba and you got to be ready to be okay with that. And my response is I'm not going to be okay with anything until what they say in their little press conferences and conference calls one makes sense and then two translates into results on the field. That's it. If you want to make me a happy fan, that's it. I need to see, you know, I you what you're saying needs to make sense and then it needs to translate onto re, into results on the field. And then I'll be happy. But until then, until you're doing like you said this talking out of both sides of your mouth thing, oh, we play possession soccer, but we bunker against Canada and we got a great result as a statement win. Uh then I I I have more questions than answers. Uh, every time I see this team. So 
Is that enough negativity for one night, Josh? <laughs> yeah, and I, I need to think about happier thoughts or something like that. And so, you know, I hope, you All know, right. I think there's things that will, you know, we'll be back likely after Tuesday's expansion draft. Probably the next yeah. time you guys hear from us. Steps forward. Yeah. You got to see if we can get Vince on the show. Yeah, most definitely. Because definitely there's a lot of things that are happening within the club. And I think, um, you know, Max talked about just the kind of the schedule as we head into the into the next few months. And so, again, for an LAFE perspective, there's a lot to look forward to um, based on this podcast from a U.S. national team perspective forward. I mean, an U.S. national team perspective, there isn't a whole lot to look forward to. Um, at least the players that should be playing are not going to be there, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, until things change, we'll see what happens. But again, at least we'll have better things on the horizon when it comes to club um, you know, rather than country heading into these, into this next month or two. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, yeah. Until the next where time. Can find you, Josh? LAFC Josh on Twitter. So, you know, like tonight's been a big, it's been talking about more American football and injuries. So if you want to see an analysis between me, Kirk, you know, and the couple, and I think it was, um, the other Josh who happens to be a radiologist regarding to a tag injury, can go check that out there yeah uh you can follow the show at counterpress underscore you can follow me at kirk kinsey you can email us at the counterpress show at gmail.com and until next time hashtag bert and ernie out good night (laughs) 